The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Nations League relegation drama. England, Italy, France and Wales. Big nations facing the drop. And Wales. In the final international break before the big thing in Qatar, we check out the weekend's key Nations League matchups and decide we'd rather be watching Brazil Ghana. Also today, how tall is Ivan Tony? Does it matter if rice is off the boil? And while all those internationals are going on, have WSL cleverly scheduled their best set of fixtures ever? All that and more coming up in this Totally Football Show. Thursday, 22nd of Checks Note, September. Hey, listener. Thanks for joining us. Thought you might have other things, you know, because it's international break. But here you are. Here we are. We, in this case, being me, Carl Anker. Hey, Carl. Ahoy, ahoy, James. Yep. Uh, Colin Miller's with us as well. Hello, Colin. Hello, James. Indeed. And Tom Williams, too. All right, Tom. Hi, James. Excellent. Later on. Not that much later, we'll have James Horncastle and also Charlotte Harper will be joining us too. Super. International weekend. Traditionally, a little bit of a gear shift from the kind of hot magma narrative spewing volcano that is club football. I'm curious to know what are the big storylines of the international type that, 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 that are most interesting to you? What, what you. what are you going to watch this weekend? What are you looking out for? Tom, you go first. I will, as ever, be keeping a close eye on matters uh, French and also matters Welsh. Um, France and Wales are playing at the same time uh, this evening, Thursday, and then again at the weekend, so going to have to be a bit of split-screen action. Um, Looking forward to seeing how France cope with this spectacular injury glut, uh, which has robbed them of at least six, possibly seven uh, regular first-team players. Um, and yeah, interested to see how Wales are looking. Um, less than two months out now from the World Cup, uh, and after a really positive summer in terms of World Cup qualification, um, but a slightly disappointing summer then uh, in terms of Nations League results. Um, so yeah, plenty mm. to be uh, plenty to be looking out for. Right, and it's Michael Sheen's first game in charge as well, so that'll be interesting too. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, um, I think Gareth Bale was asked about this in, in the press conference yesterday. This, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is, is Michael Sheen's remarkable uh, patriotic rallying cry uh, from, was it a, a League of Their Own that he was on or, or something like that? Mm. A kind of two-minute monologue of all that is, you know, that is great about Wales and, and Welsh football. A song of hope, a song of courage, a victory song that floats through the valleys like a red mist, rolls over the mountaintops like crimson thunder. A red storm is coming to the gates of Qatar. It crackles with the spirit of 58 and Jimmy Murphy's boys. It turns the pages of the history books and finds Rob's page waiting still to be written. What would you write in there, boys? Dare you write your names on that page? We Someone sent me the link and I thought, OK, well, you know, this is obviously going to be a little bit twee um, and a little bit forced, maybe. Um, but it, it was genuinely quite a moving 
quite a moving little speech and there, there can't be a Welsh person on the planet who has not had that that video pop up in a, a WhatsApp chat at some point over mm-hmm. the last week. And it turns out the same for the, the Wales players WhatsApp group. Gareth Bale said he'd been sent it by about 100 different people um, and, and the lads in the... Uh, That's the entire population, in, in, of course. I mean, not not far off, not far off. Um, and yeah, and the, and the lads in the changing, we've been enjoying it. So maybe, even though I'm not sure Michael Sheen will be there uh, in person mm. ahead of the game against Belgium... Uh, this evening, I wouldn't be surprised if if his dulcet tones uh, made an appearance at some point pre-match. Wow! Well, I, I, it was extraordinary. As you say, my expectations were one thing, and and, and what followed was just it, it. It made me want to be Welsh. Colin, well, welcome. Wh- thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, what <laughs> what what are you uh, what are you hot for this weekend? Well, as, as Tom, Tom was talking about France and Wales, I would swap that for Spain and Northern Ireland, as usual. But maybe with Northern Ireland, I'm not so much looking forward to their games. <laughs> um, the, mm. the sort of the, 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 the recent form that they've been on, or, or the form they've been on for a number of years now, makes that not quite as uh, an attractive prospect as it might have been not so long ago. And Northern Ireland on, on the brink of relegation to uh, level D. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously Northern Ireland had been relegated from Group B uh, down to Group C for this year, and the, sort of the expectation was that they should be really challenging to win that group and to go back up again with, with Greece. But they've they've really really struggled. I mean, they 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 really have been appalling in that group. They've got Cyprus and Kosovo as well, and they sort of scramble a last minute equaliser at home to Cyprus in their in their last match, which sort of saved them the ignominy of being bottom of the group going into this run of games. So. The manager Ian Barclough is under under real pressure to, to turn things around there. The group of players that he has just they just don't have that that, that quality, that experience that, that you really need at this level. So yeah, things things are looking things are looking pretty bleak in that sort of outlook. But I mean the Nations League in general, I I, I know it gets a, a bit of a bad rep and you know the international breaks generally get a bit of a bad rep during the season, but I find a lot of these games very interesting. I, I think it's a good it's a very good way of just sort of measuring where where these nations, where these teams are, because they're playing teams of a mm. comparable quality. You know, you know, you know, you don't have games like England against Andorra or San Marino. I mean, you're playing teams who are in the top tier of European football. So it's really interesting just to see, just to see where where, where the sides are in this moment. And the Spanish team as well, of course, uh, have got a very mm. good chance of winning their group. Um, they're sort of going head to head with Portugal. So I think there's, there's there's definitely quite a lot to keep an eye on over the, the coming week or so. Excellent. San Marino, who you mentioned, were involved in a game already this week. The lowest-ranked team in the world, 211th by FIFA's measures, who were attempting to end a 122-game winless streak. They faced the Seychelles, who flew 4,000 miles for this friendly. It finished nil-nil. Carl, what's on your agenda for this weekend? It's Ghana, Brazil, isn't it? It is Ghana-Brazil on Friday, uh, played in Paris, which is quite enjoyable. Um, the Brazil national team are, I mean, just absolutely stacked with attacking talent now. If you're a fan of the sticker book collection, I think you, you'll be in awe of, of just how good and how well-storied that Brazil page will be uh, for Qatar 2022. Um, but Ghana, they've got um, a very interesting thing. Obviously, we've spoken previously about how they've uh, got a number of dual national players to, to switch allegiances. So this will be the first real test for a number of those internationals. This might be Tarek Lamptey's first debut in a Ghana shirt. Um, there's also Mohamed Kudus, who's something of the star of the moment, if you've been watching Champions League football uh, for Ajax. So for Ajax, is 
goal record in the Champions League right now is incredible. Uh, he, he's that very rare thing uh, in, in the, a Ghanaian player who absolutely seems natural at attacking football. Uh, historically, we tend to make very good defensive midfielders uh, and slightly erratic wingers. Uh, but Kudus, who originally came through our exit system as a 10, uh, then became more of a box-to-box style player under Eric Ten Hag and now seems to be just relishing this role as a false nine or even out and out nine um, in, on the new Ajax regime. So he will be uh, something of a superstar for the national team going forward. Uh, I'm also really interested mm-hmm. in the Netherlands game against Poland, which is going ahead on Thursday night uh, because there is something about this Dutch team that while not necessarily thrilling, uh, is mm-hmm. beginning to emit all the glow of a team that manages to get to the World Cup quarterfinals and knocks out a heavy hit without you even really noticing how they've done it. Ooh. All right. Netherlands currently top of Group 4, as you know, listener. That same group that has Wales in last place on one point and staring down the barrel of relegation. They're not the only ones. Quick check on the key games on the way. Thursday, you've also got France-Austria. The world champions are battling relegation in the Nations League. Belgium taking on Wales and Netherlands-Poland. Friday, Italy-England, which is literally a relegation six-pointer for those two nations at San Siro. There's also some intriguing friendlies on Friday. Iran-Uruguay and also Brazil-Ghana. Saturday, how about Scotland against Republic of Ireland and in the WSL, the North London derby. And Sunday, ooh, Wales again, this time against Poland. In the WSL, you've got Merseyside derby and Chelsea, Man City. Woof. Scotland, who've already been in action Thursday night, they beat Ukraine 3-0. More on that to come. We begin with England and their trip to San Siro. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Italy, England, everybody. San Siro. Crikey. Rematch of the Euro final. 14 months ago, both teams coming off big defeats in June. England 4-0 against Hungary. Italy 5-2 to Germany. That Hungary game was England's heaviest home defeat in 94 years. Just to refresh your memory of these things. England now haven't won in six months. have only scored one goal in their last four games. Crikey. Carl, as an Englishman, what in Gareth's squad should I be outraged about? I'll put a big asterisk on the Hungary defeat as that 11 was missing a number of personnel uh-huh. and the Conor Gallagher experiment doesn't work um, in this England national team. I think Southgate's challenge in, in this Nations League game is he's got a missing Calvin Phillips, who is very important, a Declan Rice who is slightly off the boil, and Harry Maguire, who has often been the defensive linchpin and, and really important to ball carrying, is also in horrendous form as well. So, big game. A number of your key lieutenants aren't there. Slightly nervous. I think one of the big things that a lot of England fans are annoyed about is the, the slightly prosaic midfield and the... Uh, continued reliance on Mason Mount. Mount has been a Southgate favourite for a very long time. He's really important for his ability off the ball. So when uh, England play a 3-4-3, Mount plays a sort of quasi-8 who moves to a number 10 when they start attacking. Um, And his job is basically to disrupt the deepest lying midfielder on the other team. So in the Euro final... Mount was supposed to stop Jorginho and really get under the skin of Verratti. And he did it for about 30 minutes and then it became a whole mess as Kyle Walker basically had to keep being a cheat code and bail him out. Uh, Verratti might not play for Italy this weekend. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that is less important. But this is a big game for Mason Mount. I think his stock among his stock with Southgate will remain high, but his stock among the the England fan base is quite low. Uh, and when you have players like Jude Bellingham coming through, when there are players who are not in the current squad at the moment, but someone that's you know someone like Harvey Elliott, who I'm particularly high on, uh, there is increasingly a conversation about oh well, why Mount why Mount instead of player X because player X is always better when they're not actually playing English. So yeah, I think this will be a big test for him. One of one of the things that stands out uh, from this England squad is that there's 12 defenders that have been named. And if you look at the various combinations that Southgate has used in the Nations League, he's obviously tried to to change things up a bit because he doesn't seem to, to really know what is what is best back four are. And obviously in the in the Euros, he had that quite quite a settled defence, and you had Maguire and Shaw both being named in the in the team of the tournament. And at that time, it really seemed like they were they were on top of their game. And that that was only fourteen months ago that tournament, but so much. So much has changed for both of those players, for a lot of the other players too. Obviously, you've tried to integrate that Tamori into the squad after his fantastic form of Milan, but Connor Cody, who's who's sort of had a bit of a resurgence um, at Everton, and then is John Stones? Is he is he going to be a starter? Is Eric Dyer? He's obviously been on on good form for Tottenham, but Southgate he's he's chopped and changed throughout this campaign. I think that explains some of the bad results. It certainly helps explains the result against Hungary. And even then, with Jordan Pickford out injured at the minute, and who's going to be the goalkeeper? It seems to be Aaron Ramsdale's preferred, but then Dean Henderson and Nick Pope, they're both pushing as well. And I think over these next couple of games, we're, we're really going to see Southgate experiment a little bit because this, I think he's a coach who tends to be risk-averse, certainly in big tournaments. He, he likes to know exactly what his formation is going into that. But at the moment, there just seems to be a bit... A bit of a period of flux, um, especially in those defensive positions, and it's it's just going to be really interesting to see if he if he can find if he can stumble across his his preferred combination ahead of the finals. And, and obviously, you talked about Maguire and Shaw. I mean, they're just not playing for Man United. Can they? Right. Can they be regulars at a, at a major tournament when when they're when they're not playing at club level? It's it'll be interesting to see how he how he balances that. I can't believe that this was England's last game. Um, it feels like it happened about a year ago. Feels like it belongs to a, a different age, or is that just because I pay slightly less attention to England results than England fans? I don't know. <laughs> it just feels like it's so long ago that game and yeah. England getting booed off and Gareth Southgate being jeered by fans of the team that he'd led to uh, a major final. What about less than ten months previously? Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the the really fascinating thing about these two Nations League matches. Um, and I join Colin in, in saying that I'm, you know, I, I quite enjoy the Nations League despite the the bad press it gets. And I think it was unfortunate that you had those four games tacked on at the end of last season, which was clearly just a, a disastrous mm. idea and, and and a really poor advert for the competition. But given that they are the last opportunity, um, not just for national coaches to experiment, but for the players to spend any sort of time together before the World Cup begins, um, you know, th- this is basically it. This is the last Last look we're going to get at all of these teams before the World Cup begins uh, and so you would have thought at some point in one of these two games at the very least Southgate will want to, to put out the, the team or as close to the team as possible that is going to start England's opening game and I suspect that'll be the case for all the you know for all the nations who you know who've got Nations League games this week so yeah, I mean, at the moment, there is an awful lot of uncertainty about England. And I, I suspect within the next few days, we'll, we'll get a clear idea of, of what that starting eleven is going to look like. Crikey. 
On the positive note for England, Matt Knight says just how sensational is that new England away kit for the World Cup with the kind of blue fade on the no car, not for you? So I've, 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 I've got a piece on The Athletic coming okay. shortly about the England kits. Um, and the away kit, I am aware of the 30-year nostalgia cycle and how uh-huh. uh, marketers are very good at offering me the now I'm an adult. Uh, marketers now want to sell me uh, idealized versions of things I remember as a child. Um, right. So I can understand why this. Got to say, I've got away some skin in this game, but you keep going. <laughs> I can understand why this England away kit is is popular because it, you know harks back to to Italian ninety and um, whatnot. But it's just missing something. Really? Uh, I've now seen it with a number blood. On. Well, apparently it's called the the, the shade is they referred to as challenge little, red. They sell it with a bloodied Terry Butcher headband. Sachets. You should be able to accessorize <laughs> yeah. it with like your kind of item of choice from that era. Yeah, yeah. Both England kits have uh, they don't move me, unfortunately. Okay, what about Ivan Tony? That moves me greatly. I'm really enjoying his current slate of interviews. He speaks with a, with a great happiness that he is at the England camp, but also with with a with a strong hunger. That he wants to prove that he wasn't a fluke and he, he intends to be there for a long time. I also enjoyed how he uh, responded to the ire of, of certain Arsenal fans after that victory. I liked how uh, Ivan Tony has taken that in, stri- in stride and went, yeah, you know, it's a bit cringy that I'm living rent-free. Well, I'm paraphrasing and being meaner than what mm. he said, but I quite enjoyed that as well. Uh, big fan of Ivan Tovey. I'm very unconvinced he is the height he is billed at. Oh. Apparently he's billed at five foot ten. Which feels wrong. Okay. You think he's Tom shorter? is pulling a face here. See, no, I I kind of feel like I wonder whether it's because he plays with players who were sh- like Brian and Bamo is obviously a bit shorter than him, or is he? I mean, I say mm. that is this all just nonsense? I wonder whether he is made to look taller by dint of playing with um, shorter than average teammates. I will investigate. Mm. Um, I'm you on. You think the- he's taller, Carl, than five ten? Ivan Tony has the aura and plays like a man who's six foot. Um, okay. And the thing that confused me quite a bit was he, uh, during Brentford's victory over Manchester United, he was stood next to Luke Shaw. Luke Shaw is billed at six foot one, which uh, I've always felt quite confused by. Uh, and there was a point where they were stood next to each other and I could have sworn they were the same height. And I had no idea what height that was. So mm. England heights, so- very odd. I've I've looked into it um, and I can reveal uh, that Brian and Bemo is five foot seven, uh, and that Johan Wisser, uh, Ivan Tony's other occasional strike partner, is five foot nine. So both slightly on the short side for a professional player, and I th- I wonder whether that Carl is what makes you think Ivan Tony looks taller than he actually is. That could be it. As I mentioned, England only one goal in the last four games. What about opponents Italy? Since the Euro final, they managed to stuff up World Cup participation by losing at home to a representative 11 from North Macedonia. So what kind of adversary are they going to be this time? James Horncastle joins us now. Hello, James. Are they tall enough? Uh, that's are we're they gonna, tall We're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit like you, James. You know, people yes. are listening to you. Uh, and the mm. aura that you project in podcasts, they would imagine you yeah. come out of the booth seven feet mm. tall, and instead oh, yeah. you're only six eight. So there we go. <laughs> uh, 
It's true, but let's talk about Italy, James. They'd won 15 games in a row up until last summer. Now they've only won four of their last 14. What kind of form are they in? The spell is broken. I mean, since the finalissima uh, at Wembley at the end of uh, the season when the champions of Europe played the champions of South America and the champions of South America handed it to them, um, Mancini has tried to usher a new generation um, into the national team. Um, he's like, we have to draw a line under the old generation. And that is why I've called up Manolo Gabbiadini to play against England. Um, Gab- <laughs> Gabbiadini is back after five years. What happened the last time he was in the Italy side? I imagine they failed to qualify for the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, at, at but, San Siro. At San Siro, where they're yeah. going to be. Oh, my goodness. Mm. He also made his uh, Italy debut, James, against England, um, huh? and Italy lost. So there we go. Oh, right. Uh, there is a first... Well, there's a couple of fresh keepers in there in the squad. There's also a player who I think we've, we, we've enjoyed so far this season, Salernitana's Pasquale Mazzocchi, who's tremendous fun, although possibly won't see too much game time because of the return of uh, Spinatola. No, Spinatola basically called Mancini and said... I'm really sorry, Roberto. I can't make it. Um, I've Ooh. got uh, I've got an injury. Um, he hasn't been in the best of form as well for Roma. So Spinazzola, who was such a difference maker for Italy during uh, the European Championship up until the quarterfinals, just hasn't really been available since then. And I think some people will point to that and say, yeah, the special source has gone uh, with him, mm. and, and and that's one of the reasons why Italy could not take advantage of, of their dominance in games against Switzerland uh, in, the, in the World Cup qualifiers uh, and couldn't beat North Macedonia in that playoff semi-final. Um, so Matsoki, I mean, he delivered arguably the best initiation song rendition uh, that has been sung at uh, Coverciano in, in decades. <laughs> He was quite the performer. He sung a, a, a Neapolitan neo-melodic song. Um, and this guy has got some pipes on him. Uh, incredible uh, stuff from him, if you're, if you're into that, which not many people mm. outside of Naples are, but uh, it went down was, very well. Was it too good, did you feel? Yeah. I, I felt he's almost a better singer than he is a footballer, James. Really? Um, really? That, was, that was my worry. Um, mm. But no, Matsuki's been excellent so far this season. And I think him coming into the side uh, has, certainly in, in some of the days leading up to this game, led Mancini to experiment with a 3-5-2. So finally breaking away from the 4-3-3, which has been a big part of um, his, uh, his tenure as national team manager. But... Uh, as the game gets closer, it does look like Mancini will be playing that 4-3-3. They're playing at San Siro, um, mm. which kind of indicates how big a game this is uh, for Italy because they've only lost three times there. Um, their yeah, points per game record is 2.2. But of course, we remember that Sweden playoff, uh, which didn't go very well. Um, I think more recently, the game against Spain in in the Nations League, which was kind of revenge for, for Italy beating Spain in, in the Euros as well. And, you know, frankly, you mentioned the the fresh call-ups. 
um, there's very little freshness about this uh, this this Italy squad. Really, the under twenty ones looks more exciting, and it's a surprise that Mancini, who's usually so precocious about uh, sort of promoting players, uh, he hasn't really done that in this squad. And he hasn't even called up Nicolo Zaniolo. And Zaniolo mm. is, is back healthy after the shoulder injury he suffered um, against Cremonese. And uh, by all accounts, it's quite surprised that he isn't in uh, in this squad and, and wasn't called up when um, the likes of Politano and Pellegrini um, got injured. So, what, um, Why we'll do you think that is, James? Is it a personal there. issue? I mean, he, he looked like he was back to his, his best earlier in the season. And and certainly played in in the last game against Atalanta. Um, he did dive in that game and wanted a penalty, and that's uh, kind of led Mourinho to to lose his mind and and get sent off. Um, we've seen previous Italy ma- managers look uh, quite dimly on players behaving like that, but given Mancini used to behave like that um, as a player, I, I don't think it would be something that would get in the way of him calling Zaniolo up. So. It is a bit of a surprise, um, just because if they are going to continue playing four-three-three, then he's someone who's who's tended to play on the right uh, occasionally in that system. He can play in midfield as well. Um, I'm also st- surprised to see Fabio Miretti, who's been playing for Juventus, one of the few bright sparks about Juventus this season, still playing for the under-21s, um, because I thought he probably would have got a call up and would have made this midfield, which will, as I think Carl mentioned, is going to be without Verratti. And I think maybe without Locatelli as well, um, look a little a little bit fizzier, I suppose, than, mm. than it does at the moment. James, uh, I have a question about uh, Mancini. And this, what, what, in your sense, is the sort of public opinion about Mancini? Because obviously came in, had that incredible unbeaten run, had the incredible Euro success... But in that World Cup qualifying group, I mean, they they were poor. They they seemed to be a team who who kind of ran out of ideas in a lot of the games. Who seemed a bit blunt in attack, and obviously that sort of continued on a little bit in, into the Nations League. Is Mancini under any sort of pressure in his position, or is there a sense that maybe there's there's just shortcomings within the squad of players that he has, and 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 there's a trust that he'll that he'll get it right eventually? I think it came so soon after the Euros that he had all of the credit in the bank from putting Italy back where they belong uh, historically. And I think there was a little bit of a Euros hangover in their, in their first uh, World Cup qualifiers, particularly against Bulgaria in, in Florence, where they had, I don't know, 40 shots um, and didn't take their chances and ended up drawing that game. But I mean, even against Switzerland, Jorginho has a penalty at home and away from home and he misses those penalties. And if they, that's the fine margins, you know, if, if, if those go in, then they qualify as group winners. Uh, they don't have to go through a playoff. Apart from the, the impact of that defeat to North Macedonia, which people weren't expecting that, no matter how kind of underwhelming they'd been in World Cup qualifying, they expected Italy to go out in the playoff final against Portugal. There was a real feeling that it didn't really matter what happened against North Macedonia because Portugal were going to be too good and were going to beat Italy. Um, away from home in Porto. I mean, that's why I even, I didn't go to the game in Palermo against North Macedonia. I was sent to Porto to cover Portugal against Italy and instead it was it was Portugal against North Macedonia. So there was already mm-hmm. a feeling that if they didn't qualify automatically, they weren't going to make it through the playoffs and, and thus that's what happened. A fire engine going to the wrong fire, James? Mm. 
<laughs> yes. Speaking of Great which, line. James, this this Friday you're not going to San Siro, are you? You're going to be at Ghana, Brazil instead. I have to say, great choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, following Brazil, Argentina. I think for the Athletic. So uh, been catching up on on Brazil over the last few years. I've watched uh, yeah. all their Cop- Copa America games. Uh, okay. From, uh, from 2021. No Gabriel Jesus. No Gabriel Martinelli. No. I know that's that's right. Tite has lost it already. So there we go. If you lose Arsenal Twitter, there's no coming back from it, James. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, and 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 worse still, there is a call up for Spurs' Richarlison uh, amongst an array of attacking talent. Vinicius Junior, of course, Rafinha, Anthony, Rodrigo, Neymar. Who do you think is going to start up top? All of them. Well, I mean, if it, if it's anything like. Uh, the Copper America. I mean, Richarlison was featured in more or less every game um, in that, uh, and it was it was it's just so versatile. Can either play as a centre forward, play out on the left, um, even played out on the right. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, Tite was was to go with with more or less the same. With uh, the only change will be Gabriel Jesus, who they had to they had to do without anyway uh, in the knockout stages of that Copa America because he got sent off for Kung Fu kicking uh, a, a player from Chile and and Paquita came in and did a really good job, instant impact in terms of replacing him. So it's just absurd when, when you see the options that they've got. It, it's amazing when you watch kind of back-to-back Brazil games and you watch back-to-back Neymar games, you, you again appreciate just what an exceptional talent Neymar is. Just unreal in terms of uh, his courage, bravery to just give me the ball, give me the ball and let me get the kicked out of me. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's remarkable. So, so yeah, looking forward to it, James, looking forward to a bit of, bit of mm. France. I know, you know, it's Tom's second country. Um, mm. So if he's got any Paris recommendations for me for the second game, um, whereas as Julien Laurence is, is, is trying to make me out to be the Tunisia correspondent rather than the Brazil correspondent. So I am James right. Al Horncastle now on, on WhatsApp <laughs> to him. Um, so, well, the first uh, game yeah. the first game is in Havre, is it not? It is, yes. But I'm then coming back the, 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 to the second game. Yeah. It's bizarre, isn't it? The Brazil against ground. Ghana in a, in a second division. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a lov- it's a lovely little stadium, actually, James. It was, is um, it? It's kind of loosely modelled on the Allianz Arena, um, but oh. kind of made out of translucent blue plastic rather than whatever nice. they've got going on in Munich. I, I went there, I think for its inaugural match, it was certainly Didier Deschamps' first game as, as France coach, was played in Le Havre, bizarrely, um, and they played out an absolutely dreadful nil-nil draw uh, against Uruguay, which very much kind of uh, That's set Deschamps' uh, stall mm. for, for, his, uh, for his tenure. But yeah, I'd recommend a little stroll around the, uh, the harbour in Le Havre. It's, it's very pretty. This is famously where didn't Pogba and Grisou kind of drive back and go go out night clubbing one time and got banned for doing this. I can't remember. That's the kind of thing that I want to do on my way, way back from Le Havre. Get banned know, so. for night clubbing. Yeah, well, Le Havre got a yeah. fantastic um, fantastic youth system, and that's where Pogba started out, of course. There you go. There you go. Since losing the final of the Copa America last year. Brazil are on a 13-game unbeaten streak. They've drawn three of those matches, won the other 10, scoring 30 goals, conceding just four. Mm, tough opponents for Ghana on Friday. Right. James, listen, have a great time in La Havre. Enjoy the nightlife. Uh, 
Hardy Harver. Yeah, brilliant. Let's mm. bring it. Excellent. All right, catch up with you soon, big guy. <laughs> okay, short All guy. Right, yeah, the little man. Yeah. <laughs> the little magician. Excellent. Okay, more international delights on the way and a spot of on this day as well. Hello, I'm Lindsay Hooper, host of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. After the euphoria of the Euros in the summer, the WSL is back with some massive shocks already. This weekend, there's some mouth-watering ties with a record crowd expected for the North London Derby at the Emirates. And it's Derby Day on Merseyside too. Plus, there's a titanic tussle in South London as Chelsea and Manchester City go head-to-head, both looking for their first points of the season. For all the insight and opinion you need, join me and our stat panel of experts this week and every week on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Listen for free and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. 22nd of September, everybody, of course. On this day 17 years ago, what happened? Why, only the worst debut ever in a football match. That's right, it was Jonathan Woodgate for Real Madrid against Athletic Club de Bilbao. A Woodgate, who you will recall, had been bought for a then sizable 13 and a bit million from Newcastle, but then hadn't played a single game in over a year for Real, his new club, because of injuries. Then finally got his chance on the 22nd of September 2005. Colin, what happened? And is it is it the stuff of legend in Spain as it is everywhere else? Yeah, so Jonathan Woodgate, uh, his debut his debut for Real Madrid was 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 remarkable. Um, to, to score an own goal and to get sent off in in the one game was just an absolute nightmare. And as you say, James, it was the fact that he had been signed from Newcastle as a player who the club the club were aware that he had had injury issues. And the Real Madrid president Florentino Perez he had insisted, look, he's going to be playing within three weeks. Um, whenever he signed for the club and obviously that didn't go to plan and it was pushed back if it's 14 months almost until he made his debut so this was a this was a very 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 long time in coming um and it was such a bizarre match as well because Real Madrid fell behind um, 1-0 because of the own goal and they came back to win 3-1 but it was a it was a really really strange game because Woodgate actually played quite well which which sounds strange in the context of it but he 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 impressed the crowd they actually applauded him after he got sent off such was such as the manner of his performance they also thought the red card was a little bit unlucky because it was two yellows the second one was a little bit harsh but it was the interview uh, that Jonathan Woodgate gave to the English media after the game which was um which is quite good whereby he was still sort of he was still sort of in shock from what had happened on the pitch and he he comes out after the game he's like oh f- me f- hell my god where, where do i start i'm still in shock an own goal and sent off what a debut what a debut after the own goal in the yellow i was thinking jesus christ just don't get sent off and then i got sent off <laughs> So, uh, so it was. It was one of those whereby, whereby it really, it really was. It was a nightmare occasion um, in terms of the headlines. But it, it was, it was played to this backdrop where he had, he had worked so hard to get himself back in, and things just, things had just gone wrong. But he, it's curious how he sort of seen in Spain. And I was, I was speaking hmm. to a couple of people about this. There doesn't seem to be any, 
any lasting legacy of, of this game in particular, but he did endear himself to quite a lot of people because he made an effort to learn Spanish, to speak Spanish, to give interviews in Spanish to the media, to travel about Spain to try to get, get used to the culture of it. And I think that that's appreciated, especially coming from a UK perspective. And I mean, his, his performances generally were actually seen as being quite good. It was just the fact that he was always getting an injury setback and that, that also ruled him out of the, the World Cup. Um, in 2006 for England it's the fact that he, he just got injured again on, on, on the eve of that tournament and obviously four years before that he had been banned from England duty after the after the court case um, following the incident when he was at Leeds with Lee Bowyer um, one thing one thing I didn't know about Jonathan Woodgate is that he is the brother-in-law of Stuart Downing and Woodgate was the assistant when uh, at, at Middlesbrough when Downing was, was the player there. And Downing then left the club to go to Blackburn whenever Woodgate became the manager. But I, I had not been aware that they that they were uh, brothers-in-law. So yeah, that, was, that was quite an interesting little tidbit that I found when, mm. when, uh, when uh, researching him. All right. Did you also know that he, he was the scorer of the winning goal the last time Tottenham Hotspur won a trophy? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's one of the things as well, isn't it? It was the League Cup final. Um, against Chelsea and I was sort of thinking about it. it was one of the moments that sort of that encapsulated his career because Woodgate I think it was that season he played over 40 games for Spurs and there was a sense that he's finally he's finally found the sort of right balance in terms of his fitness and then vo- avoiding injuries and then and then he just got another injury setback the next season and it was it was almost summed up his career the fact that there was so much promise and there was so much so much excitement that this guy is such a such a great central defender such potential but just because of injuries and the way he was managed by by various clubs, he, he just sadly never got a chance to f- really fulfil just how good he could have been. Although, pretty good career. He won a League Cup. He won a trophy with Spurs, which not everyone gets to do. Went to Real Madrid, other things. So managed Bournemouth. Yeah, there you go, Jonathan Woodgate. All right, big teams on the brink of relegation in international football in the Nations League include France... Who are facing Austria. Yep, world champions France. If they lose to Austria, they will be relegated. Build up to that match, clouded by a series of scandals around the French game. But also on the brink, Wales, who take on Belgium on Thursday night. A Belgium without Romelu Lukaku. How are Wales looking, Tom? Yeah, missing a few key players, which is always the case. Um, I mean, it affects all teams, but I think Wales in particular seem to struggle to get their, their key men out consistently. Um, no Aaron Ramsey, uh, no Joe Allen, no Ben Davis, no Harry Wilson. All of those would be probable starters if fit when, when the World Cup comes around. Gareth Bale is in the squad, uh, having made a positive start to life in... Los Angeles, they're managing his game time quite carefully, though. I think he's made 11 appearances, but only two starts or something like that. So the suggestion is that he is unlikely to start both of, of Wales's matches. Um, and I think, I think the hope from a Welsh perspective from these games is that we'll see more of the Wales that we saw in the World Cup uh, playoff games against Austria and Ukraine when they were very solid, when... Gareth Bale made the difference where they played with it with a lot of control and a lot of composure and a bit less of the of the very kind of shaky looking Wales that we saw in the Nations League games that followed. I mean, uh, Carl mentioned the Netherlands before. In both of Wales's uh, Nations League games against the Netherlands in June, Wales equalised in stoppage time and then conceded the decisive goal in the game 
seconds later, I think Memphis Depay's winner um, in, in the 3-2 win in what was Wales's last game came something like 10 seconds after Wales had equalised. Um, and I mean, at the time, you know, if you'd given Wales fans the option of qualifying for the World Cup and then, you know, losing all of those Nations League games 5-0. It's not a decision that would have taken very long to come to. I mean, you know, Wales fans were quite happy to to write off those games because Robert Page was managing his squad and, and sharing the minutes around and, you know, making sure players were fit. But at the same time, um, and, you know, Scotland are in a similar position now, being on the verge of promotion to, to League A. For a small country like Wales, it's a huge thing to be in Nations League, League A, and it would be a pity to just you know disappear from the top tier uh, without a whimper so you know as much as World Cup qualification was the obvious um, priority in the summer it, it would be nice to, to see something from Wales in, in these two games uh, you know partly to, to try and stave off relegation in, in the Nations League and also just to give us all a little bit of belief heading into heading into the World Cup which is now you know suddenly feels like it's just around the corner. Mm, in a group with England and USA and Iran. Mm. Colin, sorry. Uh, no, just, I was just going to say there about, about the, the Nations League group that Wales are in. I mean, it's, that's a really difficult group to, to have Netherlands, Belgium and Poland as well. And Tom, Tom mentioned the, the two defeats against the Netherlands in the last minute. They, they, Wales took the lead away to Poland in the second half and still lost that game 2-1. So, I mean, all these games have been, been very close. They've been competitive. And I guess, as Tom sort of alluded to there as well, that Wales need to be a very sort of well-drilled team defensively and need to be very well-disciplined. Is it Danny Ward who's going to be between the posts for you, Tom? And if so, you know, the most regularly perforated keeper in the Premier League, how much of a concern is that? I have never felt so much sympathy for a professional footballer, I don't think, in my entire life. He has a Jonathan Woodgate in almost every game, Danny Ward. And I, I find myself watching Leicester's games and praying that the opposition aren't going to shoot and praying that one of his teammates isn't going to roll the ball back to him because he just looks so shaky. And it's awful because he's not a bad goalkeeper. Leicester paid £12 million to sign him from Liverpool. And when he's played mm. for Wales, in the main, he's, he's looked pretty solid. He has had the odd clangor, but he's never looked you know, in, in as much difficulty as he has with Leicester. And obviously the fact that Leicester have had this very difficult start to the season you know, with all the issues around the club, the lack of recruitment, uh, this, this sort of you know, huge funk that they're in um, you know he has really been in the firing line which I guess if you're putting a positive spin on it means he's getting lots of practice at the very least um, uh, uh, the fact that he's he's having to face so many shots in a game I mean looking at the Wales goalkeeper situation Danny Ward is is now a regular starter for a Premier League club uh, and Wayne Hennessy who is his main rival uh, for a starting role with the national team is not a regular starter for Nottingham Forest, but Hennessy's actually started three of Wales's last four games, all of those Nations League games in the summer. So I, I wonder whether uh, he might end up taking over from from Ward. I mean, it, it wouldn't appear to make a huge amount of sense given that one is playing regularly in the Premier League and one isn't. But Wayne Hennessy has 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 proved everything. Uh, you know, when it comes to Wales, he's he's overtaken Neville Southall as the country's most capped goalkeeper, and albeit he, he's not playing, you know, he's been part of the setup for so long. You know, he's great pals with Gareth Bale. He's part of that group of players who, you know, who achieved that miracle of reaching the semi-finals at Euro 2016. And and I think you know that that is reassuring 
reassuring from a Wales perspective that yes, the not you know the nominal first choice is having a really rough time of it, but you you couldn't hope for a, a more experienced, um, you know, better equipped number two. Um, and yeah, I think these two games in the Nations League will will give us a good indication of, of whether it's going to be Hennessy or Ward uh, starting between the posts in Qatar. At the other end of the kind of group table, not that group, but Spain. Uh, taking on Switzerland on Saturday. Connor, just a quick word on Spain, because as you say, this is the last chance we'll get to see them before the World Cup. What what kind of shape are they in? Well, they, they've been in very good form since uh, losing the, the Nations League final from a year ago. Um, they've been unbeaten in the last eight matches. There seems to be a sense of continuity within squad selection, at least, but there's still a lot of uncertainty about how it will it will ultimately shape up for the World Cup. There's still no David De Gea. I, I know David De Gea's had a bit of a dip of form, of course, but there's still no Sergio Ramos, despite him now being a regular for PSG. Ansu Fati as well isn't in this squad, um, and there's quite a bit of debate around this because he's only started one game for Barcelona this season. There's a sense that he he's had these long-term knee injury problems and he's sort of come back from it the past six months. I think there's still a little bit of concern over whether he's fully overcome those issues and whether he's ready to step up. And if he was to miss out on the World Cup, it would be a... It would obviously be a, be a huge blow for him because he's such an exciting young player and he's someone who guarantees goals for, for club and country as well. So that's a bit of a concern. And another issue is Iago Aspas, who's really been the, the sort of top Spanish striker in La Liga for, for probably the past two or three seasons. And he he just hasn't featured at all under Luis Enrique. He's still being excluded from the squad. And he, he gave an interview um gave, gave an interview earlier this week in Spanish radio when he's like, you know, I don't I don't understand why why I'm not being selected. And he just said, like, I hope that it is a football decision because I, I don't think there's anything personal between me and the manager, but I can't I just I you know, I don't know. He he couldn't explain it. And Gerard Moreno, Miguel Oriazabal and Danny Olmo, they're all they're all out injured. Uh, for this round of international mm. games. So there's been a couple of new call-ups. Nico Williams, who is the brother of Iñaki Williams, of course, he's not playing for Ghana. He's been called up for the first time. After He's in really good form for Athletic de Bilbao. And Borja Iglesias, who's also, of course, known as the Panda. Um, he's been in fantastic form for Real Betis over the past sort of 12, 18 months. He's, he's got his first call-up too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he's, if he's going to be given a chance in that sort of central striking role for Spain that has been... As we all know, the big issue over the past three or four years with the sort of the, the, the form of Alvaro Morata comes and goes um, several times, often often within the same game. And there's still a lot of question marks around this squad, even though there, there is a sense that Luis Enrique is, has certainly got them in the right direction and they're, they're in very strong form. Excellent. Oh, I mentioned earlier on Scotland on Wednesday night getting that 3-0 win over Ukraine at Hampden Park. John McGinn and then a couple of headers from Lyndon Dykes, uh, which means that Scotland are poised, as I think Colin was mentioning, for promotion to League A of the Nations League. I think I've got my terminology right there. Two points clear, Scotland, at the moment. We've got two games coming up. Republic of Ireland on Saturday, and then next Tuesday, facing the Ukrainians again in Krakow. John McGinn is, is a different footballer with Scotland. I mean, you were kind of used to seeing him in this three-man Aston Villa midfield, kind of, you know, hard-working, running the troops, throwing himself into tackles. Um, and yet, for Scotland, he's like the number 10. He's got loads of freedom. He's got like, you know, two holding midfielders behind him. And his goal-scoring record over the last, what, two years is is phenomenal. Uh, and he is, a you know, a, a player with an awful lot of technical quality. Lovely left foot, but... 
I yeah, it makes me think of John Obi McCann a little bit. When you think about players who who seem to suddenly be transformed when they when they play for their for their national teams, and that you know we we kind of looked at John Obi McCann as a, a kind of hard-working holding midfielder, whereas when he played for Nigeria, he had the number ten shirt on his back and he absolutely ran the show. Um, yeah, one of the one of the enjoyable little kind of quirks of uh, international football. Mm, indeed, so. Indeed so. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, that's what's coming up this weekend in the Nations League and assorted friendlies as well. Uh, we'll be reviewing the outcomes of those matches and more on Monday. Next up, though, let's have a quick check on uh, the WSL ahead of a particularly brilliant set of fixtures for the women's game. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Joined now by the Athletic's Charlotte Harper, ahead of a mouth-watering weekend in the WSL, Charlotte. I mean, leaping out at me is, first of all, the North London Derby at the Emirates on Saturday, and then Sunday's Merseyside Derby at Anfield. But there's loads of other treats in there as well. There is. Brighton against Reading, West Ham, Man United, uh, Leicester, Aston Villa and, of course, Chelsea, Man City on Sunday. That'll, that'll be a cracker, that one. North London derby, though. How big is this, given the Gunners' current form? It's a huge occasion, of course, but more importantly, it's being played at the Emirates. Uh, I believe around 47,000 tickets have been sold and, and they're still kind of pushing for more. Arsenal have hit the ground running last week, beating Brighton 4-0. They drew against Ajax Tool, and I think that Champions League experience will really challenge Arsenal. It's only their, uh, the second round of qualifying, so they'll go away to Ajax again. So they have been in great form, but that tool draw against Ajax shows that they really need to be on the money. Art de Roche uh, wrote a very insightful piece on their press and, and the fine margins that will make this Arsenal squad a, a better team in the future. They were so strong at home last season. What what, what hopes do you have for, for Spurs? Uh, loved Ashley Neville's goal against Leicester for them last weekend. 
Tottenham, uh, Rianne Skinner has done a brilliant job uh, with that side um, last year as well. And there'll be a tough test for Arsenal. It won't be easy by any means, but I think that's that's what we want from a North London derby. And especially to build the fan base at, at the Emirates, it will be, uh, we want a tight fixture. You don't want Tottenham just to roll over and they certainly won't do that. What about on Sunday then on Merseyside as uh, newly promoted Liverpool take on Everton after a, would you call that the result of the opening weekend, their, their victory over defending champions Chelsea? Along with uh, Aston Villa's 4-3 win against Manchester City, yes, that, that was a surprise. Uh, both results, if you'd said that at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't have believed you. Liverpool conceded the first penalty within the third minute, a Stonewall penalty. It was spot on from the referee, Emily Heaslip, and Frank Kirby converted, and you think three minutes, Liverpool are down here. Uh, Chelsea had an opportunity to double their lead, but Sam Kerr's goal was ruled offside. Uh, Liverpool were lucky to get away with that one. Looking back, it looked onside. Uh, and then Liverpool get back in it. Uh, one all, a Millie Bright handball. Liverpool forcing the er- error from you know Megan Campbell's extremely technically adept throw-ins. If you if you haven't seen them, they're like catapults. Um, launched in and again Chelsea should have dealt with that much better than they did Katie Stengel converted from the spot and you think wow Liverpool are back in this and and 20 minutes later it's clear penalty great positioning again from the referee Buchanan comes across and, and Liverpool forced that error and Stengel once again steps up and you think were Liverpool lucky you know you always need a bit of luck but they took the game to Chelsea and, and Chelsea just weren't uh, clinical enough in that final third. Liverpool had 31% possession and they'll be expecting more against Everton at Anfield on Sunday. Uh, it'll be a big occasion from them. They haven't played in front of that many fans, but don't discount Everton either. Um I spoke to Brian Sorensen at Finch Farm a couple of weeks ago and that squad has had a complete overturn in terms of incomings and outgoings, but it, it's time that Everton need um, after their hugely disappointing season last year in which they finished 10th after kind of aspirations to qualify for the Champions League. Eight games without a win now in the league uh, for Everton, but uh, this would be a great time to end that particular run. Chelsea, after that shock defeat to Liverpool last time around, are going to be taking on Man City, which is huge, particularly after what Man City got up to last weekend. Yes, it's a real interesting scenario at Manchester City with the exodus of players. They're missing Georgia Stanway, Kira Walsh, Lucy Bronze, Caroline Weir. Um, so a, a real hole in their squad. They have recruited uh, young, talented European players, but it will be really interesting to see how Manchester City come up against Chelsea. Uh, And, you know, these are international players who have Champions League experience. It's it's a mouthwatering tie for the neutral. Uh, Magnificent. Charlotte, thank you so much for that. And you'll be rounding all that up next week. I will be. I'm, I'm currently uh, exploring an interesting case with Paris Saint-Germain women. So that will be the main focus ah. and we'll see how that one goes. Ah, yes. The, the extraordinary case of the assault on a PSG 
player, which is, I, I mentioned earlier on, some of the scandals that are currently surrounding French football, but th- this is one of the chief ones. Tom, you must have been all over this. Yeah, I followed it. But um, I mean, I think that the piece you need to read uh, for background is the piece that Charlotte did uh, when, when the story first broke. I mean, it's the most comprehensive piece I read on it in either the English or, or French media. Um, so that'll be a good little, um, a good little background. But yeah, it's, it's suddenly burst back into the headlines this week. Um, with fresh revelations with Aminata Diallo, who was the, the teammate of Kera Hamraouis, who was initially detained and then released, being detained again and then released again, uh, but uh, once again in the, uh, in the crosshairs of, of the investigators. Um, mm. And yeah, it's, it's a, it is a, it is a pretty unsavoury um, story. Uh, and uh, yeah, every day that a new element comes out, you... Um, yeah, you, you find yourself scratching your head. It's, uh, it's, it's a pretty remarkable case. Where, where are we at now on it, Charlotte? So um, yesterday there was a statement from um, the public prosecutor. So uh, Diallo was charged on September the 16th with three counts of aggravated violence and criminal conspiracy. She's now placed under judicial supervision uh, by the judge. And she has certain obligations uh, to abide by, such as staying at her father's home, handing over her passport, uh, reporting weekly to the police station. Um, she's not allowed to contact co-perpetrators or accomplices, cannot contact the victim, Kira Hamaroui, cannot contact witnesses, and in particular members of the PSG football team. So, yes, this story continues. Um, Diallo has consistently denied any involvement and uh, Kira Hamaroui still has one year left of her PSG contract. Um, There were reports from the French media that she has uh, met up and will resume group training with the squad. She was at the Champions League game last night. Uh, Aminata Diallo's contract was not extended, um, so she is no longer a player at PSG. Extraordinary case following the assault on the PSG star uh, and uh, the various accusations which have been flying ever since, which took a really bizarre turn when uh, Eric Abadal was kind of drawn into the whole thing uh, with disastrous consequences for his his, uh, marriage. But anyway, yeah, well, look forward to uh, finding out what actually happened there and, and then PSG being able to put it all behind them. So you'll you'll have a piece out on that next week, will you, Charlotte? That depends, James. <laughs> depends how my day goes today. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, fingers crossed. Yeah, that is the plan. So uh, all right. hold me to that because I need to stay accountable to, to get it over the line. Charlotte Harper there, who you can, of course, follow at theathletic.com. Carl, what have you got coming up for people on theathletic.com? Uh, a breakdown of the England kits, uh, as previously discussed. And oh, yeah. They, just a little bit lacking for me, unfortunately. All right, then. Fair enough. Colin, anything special? Well, it depends on, on the on the fallout from these results and whatever, whatever oh, okay. the narrative <laughs> gives me. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And Tom, what's in the works? Shea Williams. Uh, a few irons in the fire. Nice. A few irons in the fire, that's all I'll say. Nothing that will be published anytime soon, but that's stuff coming Ooh. up Brilliant. further down the line. Are you writing a book, good man? Mm, that would be telling. That would be telling. Well, of course, you've got uh, all of the up-to-date reaction and hot takes to the weekend's action at theathletic.com and by following these fine people on social media as well. For now, though, 
that's it for this Totally Football Show. We're back on Monday with our thoughts on all the stuff that just happened. So uh, do join us for that. So rest assured, even if you don't watch all of the international football, you'll be able to find out exactly what happened. Mm. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody, and catch you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.